Well, that was the opening music to Crossfire, released in 1947 and directed by Edward Dimitrik and starring Robert Young, Robert Mitchum, and Robert Ryan, the three Roberts. The three Roberts, yes. <laughs> it's kind of like right now there's like the, the Chris's, like Chris Helworth oh, yes. and Chris Pine. And <laughs> yes, and then you can add Chris Cooper from the older element. <laughs> And we've also got Gloria Graham and Paul Kelly and Sam Levine. Yes, the man who was in 200 movies. (laughs) Yeah, he looked really familiar. Yeah, and Jacqueline White. I think those were the the main. Well, I guess Steve Brody as Floyd Bowers was pretty important as well. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net. And on Patreon, just go to patreon.com slash classic movie reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from North Bend. Well, this is Bob uh, Johnson in Los Angeles, uh, welcoming everybody back to uh, classic movie reviews and Crossfire, which is interesting. There's an interesting story behind this um, to kind of set the stage. It was originally written as a, as a book by, uh, uh, let me get my notes, by Richard Brooks. And uh, it was, it was uh, he wrote it while he was a, a sergeant in the Marine Corps. And it told the film as sort of a documentary um, about the effect of uh, the beating and treatment of a, of a homosexual. And but, but because of the Hayes Code, uh, homosexuality was not allowed to be presented on, on, on the screen. So they changed it to anti-Semitism. And and developed the same the same plot. It just was a different reason for the uh, for the brutal treatment. Um, and I had a quote here, or kind of a paraphrase, in the Marine Corps, a fellow a fellow Marine off uh, by the name of Robert Ryan met Richard Brooks and told him that he was determined to play in a version of the book when it came to the screen. And so he ended up doing that. Oh my gosh! Wow. It's quite a powerful film and. 1947 was uh, was a uh, an excellent year for for films uh, that were more socially uh, involved in what was going on. Like Crossfire came out in August of 1947, and Gentleman's Agreement came out in November of 1947. And of course, Gentleman's Agreement, which we've reviewed earlier, went on to much success and much notoriety and won Academy Awards. And this film did really well, made uh, quite a bit of money at the box office. So uh, there's, there's quite a long history behind it. The original name of the book, which I, I really think is unusual, The Brick Foxhole from 1945. I wonder why he named it The Brick Foxhole. Like like living in the, the brownstones in New York was just as dangerous for some people as being in the foxhole maybe. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things where I had to stop looking because it kept I kept drilling down further and further, and I was losing track of the of the actual movie, which which I find really interesting. <laughs> I've seen it several times. Interestingly, this time I saw a color. I watched a colorized version of it, which was which was well done for colorizing, but the black and white still, I think, does a better job of presenting the drama and the plot. And uh, the lighting is always different when Robert Ryan is on screen. That was by design. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it makes him look more menacing, for sure. 
and and it was uh, it's not a film noir movie, but it definitely um, uses some of those techniques with the lighting and the filming at night and the um, yeah I, 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 I mean, there's no femme fatale or anything like that in the film, so I guess it's not yeah it's definitely not a film noir. Good detective story, though. Really There's good detective story. There's quite a bit story. of debate about it. Uh, some people think it's kind of a combination message film and film noir because of what you mentioned, the, the lighting and, and that sort of thing. I, I really think it's uh, more of a message film. It's almost a film that you'd see Stanley Kramer making a few years later. Yeah. It's one of those movies, I think, with Gentleman's Agreement as well, that is a film that everybody should see, I think. It, you know, if, if, if there was going to be like a curriculum of movies that kids had to watch growing up, you know, <laughs> I think those two would oh, be on the list. For sure. And then that one that we reviewed uh, several months ago was Sidney Poitier and Richard Widmark, No Way Out. Yeah, for sure. Because that's Definitely. a late 40s, early 50s film. And it begins to really show the transition going on within the country following World War II. There was a scene that really sticks out in my mind when uh, Robert, I, I'm, I'm going to have to be careful with all the Roberts <laughs> here, where Robert Young, who plays a detective with the police department, is interviewing, is it, is it George Cooper, the one that they kept making fun of, and that he got kind of uh, to help him with the story to kind of entrap? Uh, or was it no, Paul it wasn't Kelly? Paul, no. But I know who you mean. He was referred to as, uh, I think, Guinea. Oh, Leroy. Leroy, uh, yeah. Um, William Phipps. Yeah, there was a scene with uh, William Phipps and Robert Young where Robert Young was trying to get him to help with the investigation and he was like i don't know i don't know you know he's kind of debating and and then robert young tells a story about his grandpa from like the 1840s oh totally yeah that's his high point for me in the whole film yeah it isn't that i don't want to help it's just well i don't i've never been around with monty and floyd much monty never wanted me around he says i'm stupid i guess i am Sir, how do you know he really killed him like you say? We don't. That's what we want you to help us prove. Keely, I told you I didn't want to get in any trouble. You won't get in any trouble. And stop worrying about Monty. Captain Finley won't let anything happen to you. Maybe you're right, sir, but I can't think he'd do a thing like that without no reason. He thought he had a reason. You know the way Monty feels. You've heard the things he says. Well, yes, I... I guess I heard him say a couple of times about... the. Jewish people living off the fat of the land while he was out there. You say that's all lies. I guess it is, but... Look, maybe Monty roughed this guy up a little and that was all. That was all he started out to do, yes. He didn't have a plan or anything like that. This, um... business of hating Jews comes in a lot of different sizes. There's the, um... you-can't-join-our-country-club kind. And you can't live around here, kind. Yes, and you can't work here, kind. And because we stand for all of these, we get Monty's kind. He's just one guy. We don't get him very often, but he grows out of all the rest. Look, Leroy, you know we have a law against carrying a gun? Sure. Well, we have that law because a gun is dangerous. Well, hate, Monty's kind of hate is like a gun. If you carry it around with you, it can go off and kill somebody. It killed Samuels last night. 
Sir, I don't feel right getting mixed up in anything. Don't you see what I mean, Major? Yeah, that's what I see what you mean. Well, ought I to do what Captain Finley wants me to do? Well, that's up to you. I can't tell you what to do. This isn't an army matter. Monty was in my outfit. The army isn't proud of that. The army's never been proud of men like Montgomery. So don't worry about being disloyal to your outfit. You think, sir, that Monty would kill anybody like he says? He might. He killed Floyd. I hate to think of anything like that happening to Floyd. After going through the Philippines and everything. And I hate to see Monty get away with anything. But look, I'm getting out soon and... This won't I... change that. Well, I might get into trouble. I don't see this as any of my business anyway. Leroy, has Monty ever made fun of your accent? Sure, lots of times. Why? He calls you a hillbilly, doesn't he? Says you're dumb. He laughs at you because you're from Tennessee. He's never even been in Tennessee. Ignorant men always laugh at things that are different. Things they don't understand. They're afraid of things they don't understand. They end up hating them. You get me all mixed up. You know about all these things I don't know anything about. How'd I know what you're trying to do? How'd I know you aren't a Jewish person yourself? Something. You don't. But would it make any difference? Well, all right, Lenore. But I'd like to tell you one more thing, then you can go if you want to. About a hundred years ago, in Ireland, the potato crop failed. It was serious. A lot of the Irish came over here, immigrants. Their talk was different, like yours, Leroy. Their religion was different. They were Catholics, most of them. They settled down in different places. They liked it here. One of them I knew about, he'd been a farmer, stayed in Philadelphia. He worked and saved to buy some land. He thought of himself as just another man living in America. But suddenly one day he looked around and saw that something had happened. It frightened him. Fear and hatred of all Irish Catholics had developed and spread like a terrible disease. He saw that he wasn't an American anymore. He was a dirty Irish mick, a priest lover, a spy from Rome, a foreigner trying to rob men of jobs. He didn't understand. He didn't know what to do. He didn't do much of anything. He couldn't. But one day, when a bunch of men attacked his parish priest on the street, he waited in to help the priest. He managed to get him inside a store. That night, on the way home from work, he stopped off for a beer. When he left the bar, two men followed him carrying empty whiskey bottles. They didn't mean to kill him. They were just going to rough him up a little. They didn't start out to kill, they just started out hating, the way Monty started out. But 20 minutes later, my grandfather was dead. That's history, Leroy. They don't teach it in school, but it's real American history, just the same. 
Thomas Finley was killed in 1848 just because he was an Irishman and a Catholic. It happened many times. Maybe that's hard for you to believe, Leroy, but it's true. And last night, Joseph Samuels was killed just because he was a Jew. Do you see any difference, Leroy? Any difference at all? Hating is always the same, always senseless. One day it kills Irish Catholics, the next day Jews, the next day Protestants, the next day Quakers. It's hard to stop. It can end up killing men who wear striped neckties. Or people from Tennessee. Will you tell me exactly what to say? I'll tell you exactly what to say. Yeah, and I, I just thought, wow, I, uh, that's the kind of thing where you can just say, well, it doesn't apply to me, you know, or, or that's just in, in the past, it's just history. And, well, history is made from real people and things that happen to real people. It's just maybe not adjacent to us in time, but still relevant in, in, in important ways. So I really like that scene a lot. It's gonna, that one's definitely going to stick with Robert me. Robert Young's character as the uh, police detective, uh, Captain Finley, uh, is is a pipe smoking police officer who who reminded me that he might in the in his uh, nighttime work was a college professor. He just he was very <laughs> it was a different kind of a police detective than you see in a lot of films from that era. And then when he does that description of what happened to his grandfather, that really reminded me. He was te I thought he was giving a sociology class lecture trying to get. Leroy to, to really own up to what he could do, which worked. That's a, that is really a powerful scene. Yeah. I, I, I liked his character a lot, Robert Young's character. I felt like he was just world-weary, and he was tired, and he, was, he didn't want to have a lot of BS going on. He just, wanted to, he just wanted the facts. All I do is I collect the facts, and I look at them, and they tell me what I need to know, you know, and... And, and he was pragmatic in the sense that he he didn't even really know if he... He, he kind of thought that he knew who did the murder, but he wasn't sure if he was going to be able to prove it, you know. And, and he was very pragmatic about the fact that there was a good chance that this wasn't going to get wrapped up in the way that he would want it to. He had a very good... He, he, he was a very de a deductive kind of a, a person in his thinking. Excellent, excellent role. I, I did want to... Uh, mentioned that this uh, was distributed by RKO Radio Pictures back in the mid to late 1940s. And it's largely the work of uh, Dory Sherry, who at that time was kind of the, in charge of all the operations at RKO and the filming. And he really, he really promoted these kinds of films because he wanted to get that message out there to the, to the audience. And, and the director, Edward Dimitrik, he went through a tough time. He uh, he was one of the original ten uh, Hollywood uh, figures that were uh, that refused to testify before the House on American Activities Committee, and he ended up kind of a long story made short here. He ended up serving four plus months in in prison, and finally came out and did testify, but he was on the blacklist for for quite a while. Then he went on to have a really excellent career. He did The Kane Mutiny, which is another excellent film with Humphrey Bogart. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. But he had a 
he had a tough go of it. And it, it's that whole era when people maybe worked in another with another name. He went to England too, to or mm. Europe to do to work. Mm. Well, it's it's a movie that comes on right after the end of World War II, where you know we find out through the course of the film that the sort of the man who is well the the man who is murdered, uh, played by Sam Levine, Joseph Samuels. Oh yeah, Joseph Samuels is the character's name. Our antagonist here is Robert Ryan, right? Um, yeah, and, and there's a there's a couple of other people that might be suspects. Yeah, yeah. There's a few other, and Robert Ryan is he's just a little bit too like interested in what's going on, a little bit too yeah. helpful, and you know, and I think I think you know Finlay is is onto him pretty early on, and he even says later in the movie that I, it, I should have known sooner who it was, but but it was just but the motives were just so just so obvious that I, I, I it, they got lost in the machinery. I think is what he, he used the words. I know he was. He had a wonderful li- set of lines there. I looked around at my suspects. I thought back over the answers I'd had tonight. Some of them fit. I knew who'd kill Samuels. I should have known right away, I guess. But the motive was so simple, so general that it slipped through the machinery. I'm taking for granted you're smart enough to know what I'm talking about. You don't have to draw me pictures. I know what you mean. I think you're right. What do you want me to do? And it took him a while to realize that there wasn't a real motive for the brutal beating of Samuels in terms of robbery or or a woman or anything like that. It was just anti-Semitic hatred on the part of Montgomery. Yeah, yeah. And I, man, Robert Ryan just oh. did such a great job of of portraying that character. Uh, he he vacillated from kind of this slick, almost too nice kind of a guy to this vicious, brutal, you know, anti-Semite murderer. And and when he gets caught near the end, he's like a caged animal. <laughs> his his story and his life uh, are so interesting to me. If you remember, we also he was also. He was also a racist and a bigot in the movie Odds Against Tomorrow, with, uh, oh, with yeah. uh, where the three of them were going to rob a, a, a bank in upstate New York. And, that's uh, right. He had, yeah, yeah. He, he played that role to, to where you'd think that's how he was, but in real life, he was he was very progressive, very liberal in his views about integration and uh, tolerance and social justice. He was active in the. Uh, the Martin Luther King uh, in, in work in civil rights. He he walked in in uh, many of those marches. He was he w- and he was an ex marine. It, it's just it's just a complex person who in real life is not at all what he portrays in his character. Hmm. He's one of my favorite yeah. actors because of his ability to to do what he did. To so I mean he's effective as his brutal. The opening of the yeah. film is just so brutal and violent. For 1947, it's just really well done because you don't know who it is at all. You you just see everything in shadow on the wall, and and then they cut to, I guess, kind of like the next day or or later that night where Finlay shows up and um, is investigating what's going on. But yeah, that's a great opening. That that to me felt very film noir. That does, and <laughs> and it also shows the power of using that kind of a setup in those scenes for the viewer's imagination to take place 
what's uh, to show kind of what's going on rather than actually show that on camera it lets you imagine just how brutal that was yeah none of it was on camera that's one of the great things about film that i love is is that's something that you could only do with like a motion picture or you know television format i mean i guess you could you could describe it in writing but it's not quite the same as seeing it uh, with those shadows and the the harsh lighting and everything, I really really like that. Opening. I, I find it really odd, unique, interesting. Or I'm not sure of the right word that the Hayes Code would prohibit the discussion of homosexuality, but yet we see the brutal and violent murder of a man, and it turns out to be because he's a Jew, he's beaten to death by this this terrible sociopath. And that's okay. Yeah, I think you go crazy trying to figure out the Hayes Code and the the logic behind it because I don't think there there was a logic behind it. I think it was a it was a. I mean, what I don't know how better to say it than it was kind of a misogynistic, bigoted, racist kind of a. Thing. I'm gonna. I, I've got a note to. I guess you can get a copy of the Hayes Code. I'm gonna do that and go through it and see what else is in there that we've only touched upon briefly in these films. <clears throat> well, I mean, it was it was. I guess they they couched it in the in the pretense that we're here to protect the morality and the the culture, you know, the culture um, of of the movie going public, right? It's like, but it's just a form of censorship, is what it is. It must is. have been a fascinating dynamic with the with the uh, studios, the directors, the screenwriters trying to figure out a way to get through the, the maze of the Hayes Code to tell the story that they wanted to and how some of them were able to do that and others were not. It was like a maze of rules and regulations. Yeah. Yeah, it's you. Well, anyway, uh, this film is pretty straightforward. Uh, it is. It's really straightforward. It's not complicated. It gets a little bit... Uh, kind of twisty in the middle where they're trying to figure out who the murderer is. And, and, and really, I don't think as a viewer you could deduct that just from what they show you on the screen until a little bit later, until until Robert uh, Ryan's character starts saying yeah. some things that are pretty obviously anti-Semitic. You know? And then you're like, huh, okay, well, maybe it was him. And it starts to come out that uh, his role within the, uh, within the group of, of military people was was really dominant. He was a bully, and he would use fear and, and intimidation. They were all afraid of him. It might take months to polish this off the usual way. I have nothing on Montgomery, nothing at all. I might never get anything. I want to take a long chance on nailing him quick. How well do you know him? Well, I've tried to like him, but he's not my type. Does he have many close friends? He had one, Bowers. I think he killed him. So do I. What about the southern boy, Leroy? No, I don't think so. Of course, he's in Monty's platoon. Just but... how does he feel about Monty? You're getting ahead of me. I was hoping you didn't like him. I think he's scared to death of him. Is he as dumb as Monty says? Well, he's kind of young. He doesn't always know which end is up. Monty doesn't think he's smart enough to lie. What if Leroy told Monty a fantastic story? Would Monty believe it? He might. I'll risk it. Keeley's on his way out. I don't want to see anything in the papers about the Floyd Bowers killing. Not a word. As far as we know, he's still alive. We've never heard of him. I want you to get Leroy out of the Stewart Hotel without being seen and bring him here. Can you do it? I can try. That's not good enough. Be back in an hour if you can. I'll talk to your CEO and tell him what's up. 
and Robert Mitchum character, his character's name uh, was, he, Let's see, Robert um, Mitchum is uh, Sergeant Keeley, yeah. And there was even a point where Finlay asks Keeley, you know, well, were you, got, were you friends? And he says, well, I, I tried, but he's just not my type of person, you know. And I think that was his really subtle way of saying, no, I, I couldn't stand the guy. <laughs> to, me, to me, Robert Mitchum's character, uh, Sergeant Finley, Finlay, no, Keeley, yeah, <laughs> get it right. Sergeant Keeley is 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 the example and the symbol of the of the uh, right thinking, strong willed guy who's gonna because he takes on his own investigation. He says, "I gotta protect this other guy that's a suspect because the other guy had drunk so much, he had passed out, and and uh, initially the police thought that he was maybe the one that had done the murder, but Mitchum stepped well, up and, and he said, wants no, to get, we're gonna take care of yeah. this, boys.'" And he wants to get, um, I think it's Mary Mitchell and, yeah, um, Jacqueline White plays Mary Mitchell and then George Cooper plays, I forget what his first name is, but it's just Mitchell. And he wants to get them back together because George, I'm sorry, Mitchell, played by George Cooper, just seems really lost and depressed. And he's definitely going through you know, some PTSD, I would imagine, after being back from the war. And he has a really great speech as well when he's talking to his wife in that movie theater. Yeah. satisfied that you didn't have anything to do with Mary. it. Please, I'll be all right. Captain Finley's going with me. You remember the name of the apartments where she lives, don't you? 
the rig compartments. We'd better go. I told Captain Finney we wouldn't be too long. I just thought that was a great encapsulation of what it must have been going on with a lot of returning service men at the time. I, I couldn't agree more, and it's one of the early films that began to talk about that. I found it interesting, the cinematography, every time Mary Mitchell was on the screen. I'll, I'll do a paraphrase from something I, I read. Uh, she appears in ghost-like shots as she angelically helps her troubled husband, Arthur. She's always presented as this yeah. almost saintly woman that is standing by. Even even when she meets Gloria Graham and they have that intense scene in Graham's apartment where she Graham doesn't want to do anything to help the police. She was an interesting character. I really like Ginny. And as, as contrast the way they filmed Ginny to the way they filmed Mary Mitchell. And I felt like the scenes with Ginny were just very matter-of-factly shot they're just very almost documentary there was no like angelic halo around nope. Ginny um, and she'd had a tough time and I'm, I'm still not clear whether or not she was really married to the uh, Paul Kelly character Mr. Tremaine I just she's she's Jenny Tremaine and he's Mr. Tremaine but she was saying that they really weren't married it was but he was there and well, and, and she was even saying when they visited, when uh, when Mary Mitchell and uh, Finley visited her apartment, she was saying, get him out of here. Now, about Mrs. Mitchell's husband. He's in pretty deep, Virginia. Looks like he killed a man, maybe two. Mrs. Mitchell doesn't think he did, of course, but that's only natural. Please, don't you see? I know he was here, he told me. But that doesn't matter right now. Never mind me. We've got to think Oh, him. brother! Listen to that. Never mind me. We've got to think of him. Well, isn't that sweet? Isn't that just too sweet? He wasn't here with me. He could have been, but he wasn't. He could have come up. I could have cooked him something to eat. And we could have talked. And what would have been wrong with that? What's the matter with me being with her precious husband? Does he break or something? And where was she? Okay, where were you when he needed you? Maybe you were someplace having beautiful thoughts. Well, I wasn't. I was in a stinking gin mill where all he had to do to see me was walk in, sit down at the table, and buy me a drink. And that's all I know about it. I didn't ask him if he killed anybody. Listen, Virginia. You're not involved in this murder, so nothing's going to happen to you. That's the first point. You got it? You bet I got it. Okay, now. When was... I mean, what time? This is all a question of time. What time was Mitchell with you at the Red Dragon? We found the body of this man, Samuels, about 10 o'clock. He'd only been dead about half an hour. So if Mitchell was with you between 9 and 10, he's all right. Was he? Tell me the truth. No. I gave him my key, I don't know, maybe 8.30. I liked him, I... I felt sorry for him. I was sick of the stinking joint. I was going to ditch early. I couldn't get away. I didn't get home till one, maybe two. He wasn't here. He'd been and gone. Left the key. But I don't know what time. Jenny, is that the truth? I said it's the truth. What do you want me to do? Light up like a Christmas tree? 
We're wasting our time, Mrs. Mitchell. This isn't going to help your husband. He was up here. The soldier you're talking about was up here. I talked to him. Thanks. Who are you? I'm a guy. What does it matter? You want to know if a soldier was up this here? This has I nothing said... to do with you. You get back in there and mind your own business. Any man you bring up here is my business. It's not your business to spy on me, to watch me like I belong to you, because I don't see. I hate you. I hate your guts. What time? What time was it? He was here when I came. I asked him how long he'd been waiting. He said he didn't know. I should have thrown him out. I started to make coffee and he left. What time did you get here? 12.30. Jimmy's usually here by then. I'll be glad to help if I can. I'll be here if you need me. You will not. You'll get out right now. She hates me, all right. She sure hates me. I'm a DD. Dishonorable discharge, you know. I was in the army. I'm her husband. We've been separated, but I still love her. I don't want a divorce. I don't know what to do. We made a lot of plans, but they all fell through. I'll be around if you want me. I felt a lot of anxiety when I saw that scene because I was I felt like she was asking for help and and they just sort of ignored her and then you know she was left with this guy who was really suspect to me. I didn't know if he was making it up or who he was or what he was doing there and it was and he was just saying things that were just so random to different yeah. people and you couldn't get a sense of like well what's the real deal here? I had no idea. I'm going to go off on a tangent here a little bit uh, which I've found since I've been sheltered in place, I'm doing more of that. But anyway, there, there's a lot of themes <laughs> in this film that that uh, I picked up. One is, it's kind of what happened to a lot of marriages during the war, where, where the soldiers were gone for years at a time. Here's Gloria Graham's character. Is she married? Is she not married? Arthur comes back, and he can't control his despair. So we've got that going on with the post-traumatic stress disorder kinds of things that were just beginning to be thought of. Then we've got Robert Mitchum's character, who seems to be kind of above it all and very protective of his men because they've been through hell in the Signal Corps. And then we've got these this bigot, uh, anti-Semite, I mean, and the bully. There's bullying going on. There's a, there's a lot of different themes and messages in this film that uh, that come through to me as I watch it. Now, it's also... Because I've watched it several times, it's one of my favorite films because of all the things that are going on. It's amazing to me that you that a director and a writer and and you know they can all pull this together and it, it was like an hour and eighty six minutes, not even an hour and a half. Like you said, there's several different major themes happening, and any one of those is an interesting story in and of itself. And then it's all weaved together into this main plot about Robert Ryan's character and the murder of um, uh, Joseph Samuels and uh, but it, but 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 it's but what I find interesting about the movie are the things that are happening around that investigation yes yeah yes totally I missed I forgot to mention also that uh, Samuel's character is is a, is a therapist counselor so there's that going on when he talks to that young man in the bar the Arthur character well, and he was also an honorably discharged veteran. Yes. And, you know, he fought at Okinawa, I think it was. And, and you know, Robert Ryan's character just assumes, you know, without knowing anything about he just sees this guy and, and hears his name and just makes all these assumptions about him. And I thought it was really brilliant the way Robert Young's character, uh, the, the detective Finlay, had that scene where 
he's got a file on Joseph Samuels and he confronts uh, Montgomery with this idea that, well, hey, how did you know that he wasn't in the army, that he didn't serve? And Robert Ryan's character just says something like, well, you just know. You just, you just know people like that. Maybe you hated him. Hate's a good motive. Why would I hate him? I hardly knew him. I only talked to him for a couple of hours. He seemed like a nice guy. You knew he was a Jew? No. You mean to say you didn't know he was Jewish? No, I didn't think about it. What would that have to do with it? What's that got to do with me? I've got Montgomery for you. All right, I'll see him outside. I'm through here, but I want to talk to Keeley again. Here's what you wanted from the War Department on Samuels. He was hit in Okinawa, got a medical discharge last summer. Come on, Mitchell. You wanted to see me, Captain. I figured it was something important. I want to help all I can. Sit down, Montgomery. Yes, sir. Montgomery, how did you know that Samuels hadn't been in the Army? What? I said when I talked to you early this evening, you were sure that Samuels had never been in uniform. How do you know that? Well, like I told you, you could tell. You could see. Those guys got ways of keeping themselves from getting dirty. Why'd you ask that, Captain? Oh, I was just curious. You know who killed him yet? Yes, I think I do. Was that all, Captain? Don't you want to ask me something else? No, that's all. I can go now? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, Montgomery. Yes, sir. You haven't seen anything of that friend of yours at Floyd Bowers, have you? No, sir, I haven't. I can't figure well, that out. I know if you do, will you? And at, at the whole time, he's looking at this guy's service record, and he was like this really, you know... Yeah, dedicated decorated, soldier yeah. who was honorably discharged. Yeah. Decorated, so the yeah. themes in this, there's at least a half a dozen of them. I, uh, the, and, and the reviews of it uh, really kind of reinforce how well done it's from all sorts of reviewers and, and people's comments. I thought, the, uh, I thought the way that they got him in the end, too, was, was pretty great. Like, I, I, yeah, he, wasn't that? <laughs> that they was tricked cool. him. <laughs> they totally tricked him, and he fell right into it because he just thought he was so smart, you know, and, and that he wasn't going to get caught. He assumed too much. I wanted to know what you thought about the very, very ending, though. So, um, spoiler alert, uh, if you uh, haven't seen the movie, fast forward a couple <laughs> minutes. <laughs> um, but when he runs out of that apartment and he's running down the street and then he he sees there's some police at one end of the road so then he decides to go the opposite direction and then finlay breaks that window and guns him down in the street man i thought that was like i thought he had other options besides just shooting him in the back oh but, I, you know I, I almost felt it was like an allegory again it was it was it was like it was at that point it was just good versus evil and you can't you have to yeah, stamp out this I think evil that's, you know I think you hit the nail on the head plus I was fascinated by the fact that using a probably a 38 revolver from that distance he was that accurate in terms of being able to shoot monty but yeah I think <laughs> it is I think it's just this guy is so evil and and terrible he must be done away with 
I, I thought a lot about the paradox of intolerance, which is you can't tolerate intolerance. So you you have to be intolerant of intolerance, right? It's, it's, it it, it's a weird paradox, but it's true. I, I thought that it really symbolized and captured that, that, that notion that you can't tolerate people that have that kind of intolerance. And he kind of took it to the extreme by shooting him in the back as he was running away. And at the same time, I think, you know, it's a movie and it was very dramatic. And I thought, well, okay, I mean, that's what his character would have done, probably. It, it puts a nice ribbon on a lot of a lot of different stories that certainly were not ended in that film. They go on today. I also like the very, very ending when the sturdy and noble Robert Mitchum character came over and, and uh, kind of put his arm around Leroy and... That was such a great little touch, wasn't it? And then they kind of walk off down the street together. That's got to be just kind of. I bet they just thought of that at the spur of the moment and said, "Let's do that to put a, to put Mitchum in the in the role of kind of the father figure over this guy who'd done so, he'd done so much compared to what he thought he could do, and uh, he's re- rewarded by a cup of coffee with the sergeant." <laughs> I just wondered what the two of them, like as actual people and actors in that in that moment, if they if they said anything to each other. I, I felt in my mind that Robert Mitchum turned to this younger kind of newer actor and just said, "Good job." That seems like something he would do. You know, I I just really really liked that scene. He he did come across very like yes. eternally there in a good way. The, in the a good sergeant way. mentor. Well, I, my rating on this, I've probably already given it away, is a ten. It's it's. This and Gentleman's Agreement from 1947. I wish I had been old enough to see them when they came out originally in the theater, but I don't think my folks would have let me go when I was five years old. Oh, yeah, just let him go in and watch these films. <laughs> I totally agree. I give it a 10, and, yeah, put it right up there with Gentleman's Agreement. And it's one of those movies that sort of, again, reminds me that these themes are as old as civilization and that the idea that we've only just recently started confronting these these uh, issues is is just so false. You know, this we've been confronting these issues for yeah. hundreds and thousands of years, and it's gonna it continues to be, and will continue to be something that we have to to fight against. So, yeah, really good movie, really excellent cinematography, excellent directing, excellent acting, all the things. It's just got all the things. So yeah, good choice. <laughs> well, he asked. What's up next? Well, he says back, you're the keeper of the list, and I can't remember. <laughs> I have it right. Thank you. <laughs> I have it right here. Our next, <laughs> our next podcast is going to be covering the film Paths of Glory from 1957 with uh, Kirk Douglas and Adolph Manjou. And then when we finish that one, we're going to get one of the early versions of... Uh, kind of a gothic horror film, The Spiral Staircase, which, uh, Ooh, let's yeah. see, uh, The Paths of Glory is available on a number of streaming services, and as is The Spiral Staircase. I checked that out. The Spiral Staircase was directed by Robert C. Eidmark, who's one of the people that came to the U.S. Uh, at the close of the Weimar Republic right after Hitler took over in Germany. And he went on for a long career here in the United States and, and back in Europe in the 1950s. So those are our next two films. And then 
we'll have to do some off-screen planning for musicals, comedies, and westerns. Can we find a musical comedy western? Maybe a Mel Brooks movie. <laughs> well, we already did. Maybe we already did that one. I think Blazing Saddles. Yeah. Anyway, we can. I will. That's my mission. I'll come up with three. Okay. Musical. All right. All right. Musical. That sounds good. Comedy westerns. Well, if you happen to find that one John Wayne movie that they filmed in 3D. Hondo. See if that one's available. I'd like to watch that one. Uh, let me do something here. Okay. I I have my assignment. I want to see if I can find it in 3D. That'd be cool. Ooh. I'll have to do a little searching on Amazon or eBay. I've got it noted here. I, I, you know, I actually saw that in 3D when it first came out. Yeah. I've seen a lot of these films. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was just thinking that you, man, you went to a lot of movies growing up. You, and, and you have a great memory for, you know, what it was like to be in the theater oh. or what was going on around that time. It's it's really fun. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think this podcast has been so much fun and enjoyable for me, too. And I know some listeners have commented that it's like listening to Bob, who has seen most of these movies in the theater and, and Matt, who's just learning about them for the first time. I mean, it's kind of like this movie is a good example of a crossfire. I'd never even really heard of this movie before. Well, I, I, uh, I'd gone back and, and thought about growing up in Lewistown. There were two theaters, and in the summer there was a third, a drive-in. All week I would plan out what film I was going to go to on either Friday night when I got a little bit older or the Saturday matinee, I just would go. It didn't matter what it was. And I think at times my mother would get upset because she couldn't go with me. You know, because she, <laughs> she, she loved films. There's only one time in my memory where she told me I could not go to the film. And I was so distraught. It was a John Wayne film in 1948 or 49 called The Sands of Iwo Jima. And it was supposed to be really violent, I guess. And she said, "No, you can't go to that one." I was I was in a oh, snit wow. the, the whole weekend. <laughs> I bet you were. I bet you I were thought, a joy to be around what, that the, weekend. The, life is unfair. However, with the second. <laughs> well, I also kind of feel like your mom, grandma, would be like, "Yes, please go watch a movie. I need some quiet yeah, time right. in the house." <laughs> well, as luck would have it, with the second movie theater, I was able to come up with an alternative to the sun, the sands of Iwo Jima. I don't remember what it was, but nothing was keeping me from the uh, movies were and sports and going around. Now was now you've you've obviously seen that movie since then. Was it as violent as she probably was it was it good that you didn't go see it at that age? Uh, it was pretty violent for the late 40s, but given the state of current cinema, it would probably be yeah, PG-13. Maybe R, maybe <laughs> yeah. R. It, yeah, it, yeah. It it Yeah, then she probably made the right call. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You couldn't have asked me that in, uh, in 1949 when I was pouting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure you were a yes. treat to be around. <laughs> yes, that's, that's the only one I can remember where she actually said, no, you can't go. That's so great. I mean, yeah, what great memories. That's, that's sharing that <laughs> yes. story. That's, that's awesome. So anyway, that, that wraps up today. Yeah, that was our review of Crossfire. And... Uh, Coming to you from North Bend. This and here is in Matt. Los Angeles this is Bob uh, Johnson uh, wishing everybody happy movie watching. A lot of movies. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So many, so movies. many movies. Well, that's it. Okay, clean it up. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. All right. Stand, All right. Stand, Stand back. back. Stand back. Stand back.
dead? He was dead for a long time. He just didn't know it. I guess I did the right thing. The rightest thing you ever did, soldier. Captain, where's Mitchell's wife? She's with him at the station. You want to see him? No, I guess not. What about them? Think they're going to be able to make a go of it now? I think they're going to be all right. Be a little rugged for a while, but I think they'll be all right. Yeah, drop anywhere? No, thanks. Well, how about a cup of coffee, soldier? 